It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Winningle and I'm joined today by my co-host Michael Steindl. Hi listeners. The price of gas in Australia has in recent years been on an ever-increasing trajectory. And that, combined with the potential opening of huge fracking fields in the Northern Territory and import terminals, suggests that the problem's not going away. Today, we have Bruce Robertson, an investment analyst at the Institute of Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, to provide us with a better understanding of what is happening and why. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Kay. Good to have you with us. On the... Where are you? Middle... Near Taree in the um, on in the New South Wales. coast of, of New South Wales, yes, on, on the beautiful Manning River. Yeah, lovely spot. Now, firstly, Bruce, and this may be more of a comment, we know that Australia is the largest exporter of coal in the world, but it's also the second largest exporter of liquefied natural gas in the world. What, what sort of a fossil fuel goliath are we? Uh, well, you know, we, we are, in global terms, in export markets, we're very large. If you look in terms of production, we're actually not that large, but it's just that we've got a small population, so most of our resources are actually exported and not consumed domestically. Mm. Nonetheless, it's amazing. I, I didn't realise that we were, were right up there. Oh, well, in, in LNG, for example, we, we, we will be close to, in, in a couple of years, we'll be close to the, the largest player in that field, which is Qatar. Um, it will be pretty much neck and neck in, 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 in a couple of years' time if, if our plants uh, do ramp up. As wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, can you give us an outline of the gas market in terms of the domestic and overseas components and ownership? Yeah, well, basically, if we look... Um, Offshore, first of all, the major importing countries are Japan, is by far the largest importer of uh, liquefied natural gas, followed by China and Korea. Uh, China and Korea are pretty much neck and neck in terms of importers of LNG. And what we're seeing is a rapid growth in the market of China as they turn to uh, gas because their population is, is fundamentally having problems breathing. The quality of the air is so poor in many Chinese cities due to coal-fired burners and, uh, you know, to, to heating and um, coal-fired electricity that they really um, do need to do something about it in the short term and, and they're looking to, to LNG to, to fill some of that gap. So that market is growing quite rapidly. Um, conversely, the largest market in the world the Japanese market is actually shrinking. And that, that, that's quite a phenomenon that's happening there. You're seeing gas demand fall in Japan, the largest importer of LNG. 
So in terms of um, the percentage of gas consumed locally and sent overseas, what proportion is that? Well, it, it's very much... Um, we really have to divide Australia in two. Um, the West Coast, which is the dominant place of export, um, you know, there are very large LNG projects in the northwest shelf uh, that are essentially export projects. Uh, the West Coast has a domestic gas reservation policy and it basically sells gas to its local players at $5 a gigajoule, which is very cheap. On the East Coast, What's happened is with the opening up of three LNG export plants at Gladstone, we've now turned into, we were a domestic-only market in 2012. Very recently, we were only domestic. Now, what has happened is, is we are now two-thirds export and only one-third domestic market. So Two-thirds export, one-third local. Yes, that's right. So only a third of the gas that's produced on the east coast of Australia, mainly in, now in the coal seam gas field of Queensland, two-thirds of that is exported. Yeah. Bruce Michael here. Very much looking forward to you explaining the what to me seems utter insanity of us looking to build new import terminals to import our own gas. But just a little bit more in the background of how we got to where we are. How were the gas prices managed? They've tripled, if I understand uh, correctly, how are they managed recently and how are they being managed now? Yeah, well, since 2012, what we've seen on the east coast of Australia is a tripling of production as these export LNG plants have started up. But we've also seen, concomitant with that, a tripling in domestic gas prices. Domestic gas prices on the east coast of Australia was very, very stable at around that 3 to $4 a gigajoule for many, many years prior to 2012. And now they've risen up to 10 to $12 a gigajoule. So they've, they've tripled. And if you believe the ACCC, they will probably rise further in the short term, up to around $15 a gigajoule. So normally the market says increased volume gives you decreased price, but you're saying we've tripled production and tripled price. Really zeroed in on one of the fundamental economic problems we have with the whole debate around economics in Australia. There is not a recognition of very basic economics. Uh, we're talking first year economics when I went to university many, many moons ago, just of market structures because we don't have an East Coast gas market. And I think it's a really fundamental point because you hear all the government authorities and ministers talking about the gas market and if we put more supply in, we'll lower the price. That simply won't occur because we don't have a market. What we have on the East Coast of Australia is a small cartel of producers that control the price. And it simply doesn't matter how much more production we put into the market, we will not get a lower price. What they have done is they've deliberately restricted supply to the Australian domestic market. They've deliberately done this. They have not invested in, in more gas fields that would bring down the price. They have many permitted fields in Queensland that they could open up quicker than they do but they don't wish to because they want to make super profits out of the Australian domestic consumer. And they do this by just slightly restricting the supply. So 
So this idea that if we open up fracking, for example, mm. where you are in Victoria or where I am in yeah. New South Wales... Where, where we've had will... the Federal and Energy Minister over the last few years berating and, and abusing our government, Victoria, for not opening up both conventional and unconventional gas, saying that will get the price down. You're saying that's not the case. It, it is 100% not the case. If we take, for example, Victoria, like let's just take Victoria... The Bass Strait produces essentially half. It's after it declines next year, and we'll mm. stay at that level for a number of years, this is after the decline in production, it produces half the entire domestic gas market. Mm. It produces mm. 300 petajoules of gas, will, will next year. That's if it declines at the rate that they expect. And, and even at that level, which it holds for a number of years after that, even at that level, that is half the Australian domestic market, out of the Bass Strait alone. We haven't even included the Cooper Basin in South Australia that was mm. the other traditional source of gas for, for Australian domestic consumers, just out of the Bass Strait. So Victoria already exports to other states. Well, it doesn't export, it sends to other states, because I detest that term of exporting to yes. another state in <laughs> Australia. Mm. But it sends gas to New South Wales, to South Australia. It sends gas up to Queensland for export. For example, late last year, the Bass Strait was supplying all those markets, New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, and it was even exporting some of its gas from the Bass Strait. So this idea that if we produce more gas in Victoria, in New South Wales, will bring down the price flies in the face of very basic economics. Okay, so further on price, if I can interrupt, Bruce, and we actually have tons more questions for you too. The gas price, you say, acts as a baseline and that the ACC has said $1 increase in the wholesale price gives $11 per megawatt hour. How does that gas force up the price? How how is it a baseline and how would a, a domestic gas reservation price work? How it works is the gas is the last player into the domestic electricity market. So it is the last player to actually, because it's the highest cost producer, it's the last player to produce electricity. So what happens is if you can bring down that price, you bring down the wholesale price for the entire market. Mm-hmm. And what, what we have is we have this extraordinary relationship between the gas price and the electricity price. You have to remember that the wholesale electricity price is only sort of 70 to $90 a megawatt hour, depending on which day you look at it. And we're talking about, for each gigajoule of gas, reducing that price by $11. Mm. Each gigajoule of gas, we cut the price. And if you have a look at what they pay for gas in Western Australia, it's $5. We pay $10 on the East Coast. If we had a domestic gas reservation policy like they do in WA, it would have a massive effect of $55 a megawatt hour on the electricity price. So each dollar per gigajoule brings it down that much. And, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, it is an amazing uh, Well, statistic, alarming that we're paying that much extra. Is the um, Federal Labor government actually supporting a reservation price on the East Coast? Uh, look, this is a very fluid argument. This was something that was hotly, very vehemently opposed by the ACCC for, for many, many years. Fortunately, I think they've finally opened up their first-year economics textbooks and realised that things aren't working in the gas market and it's not a market, it's an oligopoly, and they're forcing up the price. And they've come round to the view that we should have a limited domestic gas reservation policy just on new fields. Now, unfortunately, that's not going to do anything 
We need it on all fields. Is the Labor government there yet? Well, the Labor government is not really articulating what their policy is going to be with regards to gas. And that may be a deliberate strategy. I probably think if I wanted to introduce a domestic gas reservation policy, it would be the last thing I would say before an election because the oil and gas industry is an enormously powerful industry. And we've seen how, you know, we've seen governments in Australia fall over resources, rent taxes. And I think that there would be a PR campaign launched of, you know, massive proportions by the oil and gas industry if if someone came out with what is a very logical policy position. So the ACCC looked at the gas market in 2016 and found evidence of monopoly pricing among the pipeline operators. What was the outcome of its findings? And when they did find that, what changed? Well, look, unfortunately, very little has changed. And this is the somewhat depressing thing about gas pipelines in Australia. In Australia... Many of them are unregulated as to price and volume. They basically, there's no discovery of price. In other words, if you want to, there's no place you can go to and look up the price of shipping gas on one of these pipelines. So the market's not transparent, is that what you're saying? It's totally not transparent. Now, there have been some efforts to, to improve the transparency by the ACCC, but it's still very non transparent. And If you have a look at what happens in the US, gas transmission pipelines are recognised as monopolies. Now, this is the land of the free and the brave and the homeland of capitalism. Mm. They recognise this. They recognise the market structure. They recognise the market power of of pipeline operators. And they say, well, if it's an interstate pipeline, a major gas transmission pipeline, we tell you the price that you're going to charge and we tell you that you have to tell everyone the availability. So the government says, you know, sets the price and sets the ground rule under which the, the, the pipelines operate. In and they're Australia, averaging around $4 a petajoule in the US? The, the gas, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah, um, a gigajoule, yes. A gigajoule, sorry. The prices yeah. are much, much cheaper than here. Mm. Um, they're, they're under half. Here. And, and you say, I think, that they're the most comparable to us? Well, they should be because we should compare ourselves to the two other large exporting nations of LNG. We should be comparing ourselves to to globally efficient gas producers because that's what we are. And we should be comparing ourselves in the domestic market to those. And if you have a look um, in the US, the domestic market is under half ours. And in in Qatar, it is, is less than a third of our domestic price. And to me, that's a totally unacceptable situation. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Bruce Robertson from the IEEFA about the gas problems in Australia that we're currently going through. Bruce, you're very strong about the role of the ACCC. Can you tell us what they should be doing? Look, it's very simple. They should be recommending, firstly in gas production, they should be recommending a full domestic gas reservation policy on all gas fields on the east coast of Australia at a price, and that price should be the same as the one in WA at $5. It's regrettable that we've come to this situation where that is necessary, but that is what has to happen. Now, if we have a look at pipelines, they need to fully regulate all gas transmission pipelines as to price and as to availability. The third thing they need to do 
is abolish this amazing system of the way that the pipeline operators depreciate their pipelines, which sounds very technical, but essentially what it means is that they don't pay much tax and it, it improves their profitability. Is that the thing um, called DORC, the Depreciation Optimised Replacement Cost? Yes, it's a wholly fictitious way of depreciating assets. It only exists in Australia and it really has to go. It just has to go. It, it, it is one of the things, one of the prime reasons why this industry is so enormously profitable and why you're seeing capital from China so strongly attracted to it because they look all around the world, you know, CKI, the company that's looking to take over our largest pipeline operator right now as we speak in a $13 billion deal, they look all around the world. And instead of investing in Vietnam, which is fast growing, or in, you know, Korea or in Japan or China, which is, you know, that, the part mm-hmm. of the world they're from, they've come down to Australia and said, we're going to invest in infrastructure assets in Australia because we know under this system we can make so much money. Yeah, you've um, anticipated one of our questions there. And so the APA, the Australian Pipeline Association, is it today owns and operates over 15,000 kilometres of pipeline and 4,100 kilometres of distribution networks and gas storage facilities, gas-fired power stations and transports more than half the natural gas used in Australia. But um, the Chinese have a massive stake in this. I think you're saying if this goes ahead, there won't be... Um, any pipeline on the east coast of Australia that isn't partly owned by the Chinese? It's actually much worse than that, unfortunately. The Chinese will dominate east coast gas transmission and distribution, even the small pipes that take it down to your home. They will dominate it. Chinese and Hong Kong companies have a stake in 99... will have a stake in 99% of the transmission and distribution network in Victoria. 99%. 99%. As Australia, it'll be 100% in New South Wales and the ACT, as well as 86% in South Australia, 78% in Queensland, 74% in the Northern Territory, uh. and 62% in WA. So they will dominate this industry. Isn't there a security risk aspect to this as well, Bruce? Uh, there are enormous security implications of, of this bid. Um, the ACCC in its um, uh, in a simply unbelievable decision, in my view, has waved this through. Mm. Um, wow. uh, but it's sitting on the desk of the Treasurer at the moment. And I think that um, my personal view is that the gentleman from ASIO would be casting a very, very strong eye over this and recommending against its approval. But, um, you know, these takeovers tend to occur in Australia. Darwin Port did. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Darwin Port did. You know, there are very, very strong political connections between the gas industry and the Liberal Party. They're very, very strong and very deep. Well, not just the gas, uh, also coal. Not just the gas, also coal and and certainly... with Chinese-based companies, they're very, very strong. Now, while you're in the middle of depressing me, Bruce, um, you also say that importing liquid natural gas is more destructive than coal. Can you explain that? Yes. um, What people don't understand is that liquefying gas is an enormously, enormously energy-intensive business. So if you have a look in the 
if you have a look at the three plants at Gladstone, and, and that's a small part of the Australian LNG industry, but the three plants at Gladstone, in the entire national electricity market, they account for 3% of the entire national electricity market, the three plants at Gladstone. They also Which is about 20- what our emissions went up in recently, yes, the same yes, percentage. Yes, indeed. Incredible. And, and that's just electricity. Obviously, they also do um, an enormous amount of gas is used. It's about 25% of what we consume domestically on the east coast of Australia. About 25% is the level of, of gas burnt to liquefy gas. Mm. It's, so, it's an enormous amount of gas. So that's... I need to clarify this, please, for myself and possibly for listeners. We've got... Massive export plants, Gladstone and other areas up there, and I think you argue that we've overbuilt that, so if you could tell us about that. But at the same time, we've now got four companies looking at building import plants, which, for our own gas, uh, that just sounds the definition of insanity to me. Can, can you explain what's going on? Yeah, well, first of all, if you start the first part of that question, what we had was when they developed these plants, they saw an enormous business opportunity following the Fukushima earthquake in Japan. And what we saw was that that they saw this business opportunity because 25% of the Japanese power industry was shut down overnight when they shut the Mm -hmm. nuclear power. And that was around 2012 so? Yes, they bought a lot of gas in and it sent the gas price skyrocketing, which meant that these companies saw a tremendous business opportunity. They opened up the plants without first developing the fields properly in Queensland. And what happened was, was that they got their costs horribly wrong. They got their costs wrong on two fronts. The plants cost a lot more than they expected because they rushed the development. And the second part they got wrong was that the field, the coal seam gas fields in Queensland, have been an extraordinary disappointment. So they, they haven't they produced failed. what they were meant to? They have failed to produce the volumes that they expected and worse, the costs are extraordinarily high. This industry is a failing industry. Um, it hasn't lived up to its expectations, either in terms of cost or volume. And what that has meant is they've had to, to drill more fields than they expected to get the same amount of gas. We saw just last year, Origin Energy was developing a new field in Queensland called the Ironbark Field to supply its LNG export plants at Gladstone, and it failed totally. They wrote the entire $370 million off that field in one hit. Because it just didn't produce what they were expecting? No, it didn't produce what they were expecting. Now, now that question you asked was a very big question. Yes, and and we actually have have about two minutes, and we also want to cover royalty, so if you can tell us about this importing. What's happened is is the prices now, the gas cartel on the east coast of Australia, as I said, have pushed the prices up to above international parity prices, and that has meant that there are now four proposals to import gas, LNG, back into Australia. Now, one of them is right down near where you are, at Crip Point. Point in Western Port, yep. Western Port mm. Bay. What that will mean is, is that gas, you know, as I said before, Toronto produces a lot of gas, way more than it consumes and even will next year, and yet you'll be importing gas into Victoria. This is just absurd, and it is the worst thing for the environment. If you believe at all in any sort of climate change, it is the worst. And there is a massive campaign against that Western Port Bay one. Yeah, and what about the others? Where are they? There's quite an advanced one in Wollongong, which involves 
two big Japanese companies. There's one down in South Australia and there's another one slated for development in Victoria by ExxonMobil. Oh, so there's two in Victoria? Yes, yes, because Victoria produces more gas than it consumes. So briefly, how can this work? Does our gas go to another country and then get sold back to us? It could come from anywhere in the world, the gas. It will be opportunistic. It could come from anywhere in the world. It could come from the west coast of Australia, which has, you know, large amounts of LNG. It could come, and we are, you know, as I said, the world's second largest exporter. It could come from Qatar, it could come from the USA, or it could even come from Gladstone. It could be gas that has been produced in the Bass Strait, gone all the way up to Gladstone, got on a ship, turned around, gone back down to Western Port Bay and sold to your US consumers because what these plants do is they embed in the Australian domestic market the cost of liquefaction and shipping. Mm, So it means that we pay way more than we have to. They are a sign of ultimate market failure because, as I said, there is no market for gas on the east coast of Australia. So we're just about out of time now, Bruce. We recently had Mark on from the Australian Institute talking about the fracking that's been approved in the Northern Territory. How would that be connected to the gas grid? Well, it's been connected by a pipe, Geminard, or had built a pipe from the Northern Territory to Mount Isa and then went to want to build another one from Mount Isa down to Gladstone. That's very so expensive infrastructure, isn't it? It's hugely expensive infrastructure. They have a 15 year, 15 years, they can charge whatever they want for that mm. pipe. They've been granted total exemption from the national gas rule. Wow. Um, they, they, all they have to do is write to the Northern Territory government and say that they want to charge more. Uh, the price they're already charging is twice, is exactly twice what is a reasonable rate of return as determined by the Australian energy market operator. So already they're price gouging and they will make... Uh, if you see the development of shale gas in the Northern Territory, shale fracking in the Northern Territory, if that industry does take off, a substantial chunk of the economic value will be transferred to the government of China and the government of Singapore. On that bright note, Bruce, we're going to have to wind up. So thanks so much for your time today. And people can find out more about it just by Googling your name. There's a lot of articles that you've written, which is Bruce Robertson from the Institute of Energy Economics and Financial Analysis. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks, Bruce. Bruce. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.